1: Welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, joining you live from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. If you've been tuning in for a while, you know this program is an inspirational thought leadership platform that advances the conversation on living and working with passion, inspiration, and purpose. I'm committed to helping create a world where business and capitalism are a force for good, constantly working to address the immense number of problems society faces, and serving all stakeholders. The Gallup organization reports that 85% of the global workforce does not want to go to work on Monday or whenever the shift starts. Let's change that together and instead make work an enriching part of life that expresses meaningful contribution and helps us grow into our highest selves, all in service of the organization's purpose. Each week in these conversations, I hope you walk away with something that changes the way you think or that you can immediately put to use. Much of the content we discuss on this program is a reflection of the work I do. So as you listen, if you catch a glimpse of anything I can do to help, go to my website at EliseCortez.com and use the contact me feature to message me. Let's talk about what's going on for you and how I might be able to help you, whether it's consulting on visioneering for a greater purpose among your stakeholders, the Vitally Inspired Leadership Program, the online Catchfire Learning Communities, or speaking for your company or conference. At any rate, I'm glad we're connected. Thanks for listening. With us today is Hugh Welsh, the President and General counsel of DSM North America, a global leader in life sciences and material sciences. Traded on the Amsterdam Stock Exchange with 23,000 employees worldwide and $12 billion in annual sales, DSM develops, manufactures, and sells nutritional and food ingredients, biomedical materials, specialty plastics and resins, fibers, and renewable energy. We'll be talking about this purpose-led and performance-driven company and how operating from purpose makes such an impact across the globe. Hugh, welcome back to Working on Purpose.
2: Thanks, Elise. I'm happy to be here.
1: Yeah, me too. I'm so glad to have you back. Um, as we, we, You and I had a conversation a few months ago, and I had you on the air, I think it's been a couple years ago, and you know I'm a fan of DSM and you, and I really believe that you are in a, a really a critical capacity to really influence, uh, as I like to say, the world about why purpose works. And so thanks for coming back and agreeing to come play in my sandbox again.
2: Uh, I didn't get scared off after the last time, so thank you. <laughs>
1: Okay, good. Okay, good. So for our listeners who didn't catch the last episode that we had together, I would encourage you to listen to that one again, by the way, listeners, if you didn't, it's easy to find on my host page. Um, but tell us a little bit more about DSM and give us a history of this. I know it's a hundred plus year old company and what it's been doing in the world today in terms of its offerings.
2: Not sure. About 120 years ago, uh, DSM began as a coal mining company in the Limburg province of the Netherlands. And, and the acronym DSM actually stands for Dutch State Mines. And over the years, it's sort of evolved from being a coal mining company to a petrochemical company to an industrial chemical company to the company we are today, which is predominantly a nutrition company, making all of the letter vitamins you're probably familiar with, like vitamin C, vitamin D, vitamin E, the B-complex vitamins, nutritional lipids. Most folks know those as things like fish oil or algal oil that you might find in other products. Um... We'll call them protective materials, so fibers that can be used in ballistic protection, but also in nets and ropes and things like that, biomedical materials, and engineering plastic. So it, it's it's evolved and adapted over the years, um, we like to think, to uh, to meet the changing needs of the world. If we had stayed a coal mining company, we'd have gone extinct long ago. Uh, if we had stayed a petrochemical company, we'd have gone extinct long ago. But because of, our I, I think, our adaptive ability in almost a corporate Darwinistic sense, we have the... Um, The view that we're going to sell companies that really don't fit into solving some of the world's biggest problems and either acquire or develop on our own new products, new solutions that are are really helping solve some of the world's biggest problems. So I'd like to think that we've repurposed that DSM acronym from Dutch State Mines, which really doesn't fit anymore, to do something meaningful. And I and all 23,000 of our employees work to try to find a way to do something meaningful every day.
1: Which is why I had to have you come on the show again, Hugh. You just can't run away from me. So it, it's I'm such a fan. And again, as I've told you, Hugh, I really, I, I, the reason I wanted to have you come back is you are a perfect ambassador and, and spokesperson for for what this program stands for. So um, thank you for, for taking time out of that crazy busy schedule of yours. You're gallivanting across the globe. I failed to mention when I brought you on that today you're calling in from, as you said, two blocks from the White House in Washington, D.C. So you've stopped in for a moment to talk with me and uh, and share what's what you're up to there at DSM. And along those lines too, what I want you to share, if you would, um, this is on the top of all of our minds, it seems, you can't go anywhere without hearing about it, the coronavirus. I noticed a tweet or two that you, it says, DSM is staying on top of the coronavirus. So what are you doing to protect your employees, your customers, people that you interact with?
2: Yeah, it's a really complex situation because you know we don't wanna do anything that's going to any way compromise the health and safety of our employees or the communities where we operate. Well, at the same time we have to maintain business continuity. And and business continuity is not just about, about maintaining cash flow and profit. It's we make products that people need to stay healthy, and people need to stay healthy now more than ever. And so we're always trying to find that balance between making sure that all of our employees um, are, are not exposed to the virus, or if they were exposed to the virus, they're, it's handled appropriately, without having to shut down Operations anywhere, and so in China, where where this began, um, we had many employees working from home for six weeks, uh, but we never had to shut down a manufacturing plant. and And people are, are are considering now, you know, sending folks to work from home if they can work from home, and how to handle, you know, mitigation things at different manufacturing facilities. And, and there it worked really well, where because of the actions we took early on, we we had no employees who were infected and we were able to maintain our operations where we make quite a few vitamins, uh, like vitamin C, which is very important uh, to keep people healthy. Uh, today, you know, in my area of responsibility, we're struggling with what to do next. And so we've seen um, an escalation of the number of cases here in the United States over the last week. Um, it's hard to tell if if there's a spread of the virus or just a spread of the detection of the virus because of increased testing. Uh, but we're considering here now whether or not we're going to have um, those employees who can work from home, work from home. And that's done uh, not just to protect them, but to protect the people who have to come into a facility to work. Um, if we can lower the chance that they'll be infected by their coworkers, that makes it uh, better for them and better for our business continuity. At the same time, we're trying to to take all measures that we can to make to make sure our employees stay healthy and we have a lot of really creative, resilient people that work in this company. And we have a lot of trade shows that are canceled. I'm sure everybody's confronting the same situation where trade shows all over the country, conferences all over the country are being canceled. And when you do trade shows, you bring a lot of product samples. And We had thousands of product samples of something called an immunity stick, and it's a a blend of vitamins and minerals that's water soluble that you 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 could feed to your kids, you can drink yourself, we have thousands of these things that we're all going to go to landfill because the trade shows are canceled. Instead, we distributed these to all of our employees across 35 sites here in North America. And so little things like that, I think, go a long way to to keeping the community together, uh, to keeping everybody calm, uh, but vigilant at the same time.
1: That's brilliant, Hugh. I really appreciate you being so specific about what you're doing. And um, I can only imagine the responsibility you face because you run North America and are connected to the overall international entity. I, I just, that's a lot of weight on your shoulders. And I, I appreciate how you're handling that.
2: Uh, we have many, many, many very good people in the company that can take care of uh, take care of everything day to day, and it's uh, I'm just inspired by them and the work that they do, and the resilience and perseverance that they show in the face of every challenge. It could be the coronavirus, or it could be a hurricane. They always rise to the occasion, and they will uh, for this one as well. And uh, and I'm also trying to kick off another thing for them to do. It uh, might sound a little strange, but I'm encouraging our employees, um, particularly those that may end up working from home, to adopt a granny. So. We know that um, the most vulnerable to the coronavirus are those that are older, and you know we want to do things that help our neighbors, the people that live in the buildings with us, our families who are elderly to not have to go out and and get what they need and expose themselves to greater risk. So I'm asking employees if they have the chance to work from home, they're not sick, if they take proper precautions. Adopt a granny, look after somebody in the community that's a that's a little older that needs a little more help to help them reduce their risk uh, of exposure by not having to go out.
1: Oh my gosh, Hugh, you are, that is so, thank you for sharing that. That is profoundly beautiful and inspiring. And yes, please listeners, go do something like that inside your companies. You have such an opportunity to make a difference in your community through the organizations that you work with. Um, That is a great example, by the way, Hugh, of what Dr. Raj Dasodhya was talking about last week or the week before on the show, he wrote a book called The Healing Organization. And he talks about how business can be used as a, a force for good to be able to address societal problems and heal woes and that's exactly what you're doing with this, with this adopter granny thing that is stunning thank you didn't even have any idea you were doing that um, <laughs> I know, and I know you're like, at least, you know, you're just so easily amused. I'm not. This is really amazing stuff. Um, Now, speaking of leadership, Hugh, uh, you told me sometime back when we had a conversation that you were going to get a new CEO, and then just before we got on air, you said, no, no, I'm just kidding. It's not one, but two. You have two new CEOs? So I'm interested to know what kind of change you're, you're witnessing inside DSM because of them and if they've introduced any new or different initiatives that they're championing.
2: Yeah, no, it's been a very interesting time in the company. So after I would call them 13 brilliant years, uh, our CEO, fika Sibisma, who is extremely well-known in the, in the international community for his work on climate change and nutrition, decided to uh, to retire. And replacing somebody like that is is very, very difficult, uh, nearly impossible. So our supervisory board decided that uh, he had such big shoes to fill, they would find four feet instead of two. And you have co CEOs. <laughs> and so geraldine machette who's our cfo and dimitri devreza who's been a managing board member at tsm for some time are co-ceos and sharing responsibilities for leading this wonderful company and it's only been uh i'd say about six weeks uh since they've been officially co-ceos and it's been quite a six weeks i would say to to get uh introduced to a new job running a big company but they're doing a they're doing a fantastic job so far and I I like to think that it's a very progressive move, that I think maybe we'll see more companies doing it going forward. There's been very few so far, but maybe we'll see more going forward because you get the best of of two people who have very different personalities, very different perspectives, very different um, views on the world at times, but are so passionate and committed to the mission and vision of DSM that they'll always find a way to work together. And so far, I'm very impressed with the job that they've done. I'm very impressed with the way that they motivate uh, the people in the company and are working to change the culture of the company. And and if nothing else, I'm really impressed with the way of you know first couple of weeks in, forced to confront the global pandemic um, like coronavirus. Um, it's it's been uh, it's not what they expected, but I think when they write their personal narratives years from now, uh, it will it will play a key role.
1: You know I th- I, f- I feel like that that what you're describing is extremely enlightened. And again, you know, I host the show every trying to advance the conversation about how it is that we do business and we work. So uh, that's very refreshing to hear that that you have too. And really quick on that note, you you mentioned again, you know, this, the coronavirus, Uh, we have Lance and Penny weighing in here on, in the chat room, wanting to know more about this. Would you just quickly address, if you can, Lance wants to know, how is the coronavirus different from the flu? Do you know?
2: Well, I mean, it's novel in that, so in that way, it's different than the flu. There's currently no, um, vaccine that you can take. There's currently no therapeutics that you can take to mitigate the symptoms. Uh, from what we understand, as to what I understand today from the experts is it um, is communicable uh, very much like the flu. Uh, so airborne droplets, you know, if you're within 10 feet of somebody, if they cough cough or sneeze on you, if you touch surfaces where it's living, um, you really have to watch out particularly for metal surfaces where it lives longer, You can you can become infected. Uh, but to, to to this point, we see that it has a, a slightly higher mortality rate than I think the seasonal flu. And there's been some other very different uh, presenting of, of this of this particular virus. It's it's has a much higher fatality rate amongst the elderly and those who have uh, high blood pressure, diabetes, or respiratory concerns. And and very interestingly, it seems to present with very few symptoms in younger people, which is mm. very different than the seasonal flu. Mm. So those at a very high level, maybe some of the differences between uh, what's been designated as COVID-19 and what we understand as the seasonal flu.
1: Uh, nicely done. Thank you, Hugh. Okay, let's go back to the business topics here. Again, I wanted to focus our conversation on, on the business of purpose because, again, I think a lot of people think that purpose is very fluffy and that it's, oh, that's really nice, and you know, but w- what's the point? We need to run a business here. One of the things that you and I talked about the last time we were on air, and then I saw it again in one of your tweets, is you talk about that there at DSM, you tie short-term bonus money long-term equity. And we talked about this that last time, but for those of, of who haven't heard you talk about this or find this to be novel, would you say more about these performance drivers? What, why do they why are they in place the way that they are and what are they intended to incent?
2: Sure. I mean, I, I mean, I think if you, if you look at the word purpose in the corporate context today, it's almost becoming ubiquitous. It is where yes. every company, every company's got, got a, got a purpose, got a mission statement, got a vision. And in some respects that begins to dilute. I think what what the initial idea of corporate purpose might be. Uh, but one differentiator that I, sep- I think separates those who live their corporate purpose and those who may or may not be engaging in some greenwashing is tying that purpose uh, to corporate executive type. And so in DSM, half of our short-term incentives, as you noted, our annual bonus and a significant portion of our long-term incentives that would be restricted stock stock shares are tied to not traditional financial targets. So they're tied to things like the company's greenhouse gas emissions, or the company's waste to landfill, or the company's water usage, or the percentage of the company's uh, renewable electricity. And when you you tie that sort of rhetoric to remuneration, you not only, I think, show some credibility to the external world that you're living your purpose, but you're also incentivizing those who are making decisions to make decisions not just about short-term financial results, but make decisions that are consistent with earning their bonuses, earning their stock options by by introducing renewable energy, by introducing best practices with employees, by focusing on inclusion and diversity, all these other metrics that we use. And I, I, I think that there's good data out there today. They're certainly reflected in DSM share price over the last 10 years that companies that focus on those things and deliver against um, promises on those things are better performers in, in terms of total shareholder return over a period of time
0: hmm
1: And that is the data that I have as well. and But hearing it directly from your mouth is what I wanted. So thank you for that. And with that, let's grab our first break. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We're on the air with Hugh Welsh, who is the President and General Counsel of DSM North America, which is a global leader in life sciences and material sciences. He joins us today just two blocks from the White House in Washington, D.C. We've been talking a bit about some of the history of DSM and its leadership. After the break, we're going to get into the 2019 Integrated Annual Report and talk about people, planet, and profit. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
3: Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.alisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose this is
0: working on purpose with elise cortez to reach our program today send an email to elise a-l-i-s-e at elisecortez.com now back to working on purpose
1: Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working On Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Hugh Welsh, who is the President and General Counsel of DSM North America, a global leader in life sciences and material sciences. Traded on the Amsterdam Stock Exchange with 23,000 employees worldwide and $12 billion in annual sales, DSM develops, manufactures and sells nutritional and food ingredients, biomedical materials, specialty plastics and resins, fibers and renewable energy. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. All right, so Hugh, the next thing I wanted to get into is I took a, a look at your 2019 integrated annual report because I wanted to then re- really look at you know how does how does purpose get operationalized? The very first thing that I noticed about your report that I thought was stunning is that its focus is people, planet, and profit. Um, just so not having a ton of experience looking at a lot of annual reports, first let me ask you this: Are those categories common?
2: Um, They are, they are, and more and more common today. So I think you will find uh, uh, folks who are, like DSM, working on integrated annual reports will begin to report out on how they're working to help their people, um, of course, what their financial results are in terms of profit, and then what they're doing to to help the planet. And that could be with respect to renewables, uh, environmental efforts, protection of the oceans, any of the SDG-type goals. Uh, I, I think there aren't so many today that are doing the integrated report like we do, where you when you open the first page, you can see both the financial results as well as all the ESG targets. But I think we'll see more of that going forward. Uh, in the business community, you, you may have seen letters from a guy named Larry Fink, who people know quite well from BlackRock, who is mm-hmm. looking to uh, to all private corporations to begin to report out this way. You see a lot of data around ESG investing. Uh, so more and more big pension funds, insurance companies, uh, folks who are putting money to work are looking for companies with strong ESG targets to invest in. So more companies will begin to report out in uh, in terms of people, planet, profit. Uh, the challenge today is that there's approximately 600 different systems to measure those ESG targets, and we're going to need to find some uniformity and some commonality there. So So apples are apples to apples when we're comparing different companies.
1: Okay, got it. That helps tremendously. Well, let's start with the first thing that I paid attention to because I do work in the people space. Uh, you report a 74% engagement figure in, in DSM. So the first thing I have to know, let me compare that to what we know from, from the Gallup organization. It says that 85% of the globe doesn't want to go to work on Monday morning. So that means 15% are engaged on some level. In the United States, the figure is more like 40% engagement. Um, how First, why in the world is yours 74%? And then also, what is the industry standard for you?
2: Yeah, we have a very, very high employee engagement result. We do an employee engagement survey every year, like many companies do. And we find that our employees worldwide, regardless of culture, geography, or any demographic, are extremely engaged, extremely inspired to work for a company like DSM. And I like to think that there's a number of reasons for that. One goes right to the DSM acronym. It's, you know, we truly believe that we're inviting some of the smartest people in the world to come work with us to do something meaningful. And so employees that work for DSM, whether whether they're in a function like legal or communications or human resources, working on a production floor, working in research and development, can all tie the work that they're doing back to something meaningful that's going on in the world. It could be working on a project that's going to mitigate the impact of climate change. It could be working on product development that's going to ensure that children in sub-Saharan Africa don't have to suffer the scourge of stunting. And When you're doing work like that when you can see the connection of your work to solving some of the world's biggest problems it's hard not to be engaged but i I can stop there Uh, you know we have other we have other things we do we try to find ways for them to to use the great skill sets the great experiences that they have to help other people outside the company i mean the adopted granny is just one of a hundred different things we're trying to do we have we work with different stakeholder groups like like partners in food solutions which is a group we founded together with General Mills and Cargill and Hershey's, where we allow our employees, no matter where they're sitting in the world, to donate their expertise and their knowledge to help build up Sub-Saharan African small businesses. So like I'm talking to you, you know, through Skype or, or, or through, through other digital media, they can talk to somebody who's working in Kenya or Tanzania from their desk in Freeport, Texas or, or Kansas and explain to them what they need to do to make their operations more sustainable or more profitable, teach them marketing, uh, show them how to do better fortification with n- nutrition. And that, that is, a, is a tremendous experience for an employee where somebody's not asking them for money or material, somebody really just wants their know-how. Uh, you can imagine going home at night and talking to your kids about how you, you helped a, a small community in Tanzania improve uh, their poultry growing because of your specific expertise. <laughs>
1: Two things. Stunningly beautiful. So, uh, one, I, I know because of the work that I do with companies myself, You, I, I do work with companies to help them create a culture and oper- operationalize purpose and meaning so that they can presence what it is that you're doing for your employees. And I know the work that that takes. So, how is it, though? You, there's got to be a, several mechanisms that allow – each of your employees to see how their individual results affect what you're doing worldwide. There's got to be some some measures or operations in place so they can actually see that. How do you pull that off?
2: We, we do a lot of internal communications. And so we have uh, a number of different channels internally uh, from the traditional sort of news center that uh, that is static and people can go and take a look at every day to how we run video screens in all of our buildings, to Yammer systems or so internal social media systems where employees can can exchange their experiences, talk about what's going on in the company, and find opportunities where they might be able to help. I think we also have a pretty unique um, employee development program we call Time, And in X Time, an employee can donate um, or use 10% of their time on any number of projects that are posted in the Time system. And most of those projects have, might have little to do with what their day-to-day job is, but require somebody who's inspired engaged and wants to make a difference and so you know this creates an ecosystem i think within the organization that brings out not just the best of of, of the people that we have but attracts some of the best people in the industry
1: Okay, so I don't know if you listened to what I said to my introduction for the show, but this is my show has evolved into a thought leadership platform. And that is exactly what I'm trying to presence that to showcase examples of how it is you're 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 doing business and operationalizing what you do. Because what I mean, what I'm very aware of here when I'm out speaking is if people really more and more are recognizing really, you know, I've got one precious life, and I want to make a difference with it. And so the fact that you give them a, a, an enormous platform, an, emor, an enormous megaphone, if you will, to make that difference, I, I would think that you probably have, to have you know people s- s- literally straining to come to work for you because you give them that opportunity. And this is exactly what I'm trying to get more organizations to do because we spend at least a third of our lives at work. Why shouldn't it be incredibly fulfilling like what it is you're offering your employees? So, just huge kudos for that. That's again, you're my example, Hugh. You're gonna have to keep coming back on the show.
2: <laughs> I'm gonna have to keep on. I'm gonna have to keep on investing and in, and in, in coming up with new programs and products. Yeah, that. keep but at well, it. And I'm I'm, I'm I'm very grateful that you have us on the show because we do have a lot of folks that want to come work for us. And and when I have the opportunity to speak externally, I'm approached by a lot of people that want to come work for a company like this, where it's 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 not just a job; it's a vocation. But I also like to think sometimes that DSM is the biggest company that nobody's ever heard of. And so although people use our products every day, they probably don't know the DSM name. So please invite me back every chance you get.
1: You got it. You got it. Okay, since you and I did meet at a a women's conference a couple years ago – by the way, I'm going back again. They've asked me to come back to moderate. I don't know if you're going to be there, but – um back in the CPHL that we met at um you and i were engaged at, at that time in trying to help develop and motivate uh, the the female leaders in the room there were about 125 of them one of the things that you know i noticed in your re- your report is you report a 25% female executive rate um so the first thing i want to know is what's your target what what would you like your female executive rate to be
2: so, I mean, we're, we're very much looking to find uh, parity, uh, gender parity, to the extent it's possible across every level of our enterprise. And, you know, we see that at junior and mid-levels of the enterprise, where there is very much gender parity, and that's, that's really a reflection of, of society. But for reasons that, um, that I think many companies struggle with, as you move further up the, the corporate chain, the number of women in our organization begins to fall off and i think that we're we're beginning we're really leaning hard into trying to solve that problem um, trying to really understand what the root causes are uh, so that we can create an environment where everybody regardless of gender or race or age or any demographic has a full and fair opportunity to reach their full potential so that's where we'd like to be Uh, we are at the ceo level we have co-ceos geraldine and dimitri Um, we are at our executive committee level where we have um we have actually a majority women relative to men, but we need to do a much better job amongst the 300 or so uh, executives that we have in the company worldwide.
1: Okay, so ladies listening, that's your cue. Go step up and talk to Hugh about about leadership in DSM. There you go. The gates opened. <laughs> um, <laughs> All right, so next I want to talk about some of your environment, your environmental initiatives, You. One of the things that I, I've really appreciated about getting to know you and DSM, and I'm from Oregon, we are tree huggers there. I live in Texas now, but um, and I've studied various uh, environmental issues when I did my master's degree. So I'm, I'm interested in this, and I have no idea what this means, but you report something about your greenhouse gas, something about 17% GHG scope. I don't know what any of that means. Help me Help us understand what it is you're reporting there and why it's important to you.
2: So we're always trying to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions from our own manufacturing operations. And, and that's what that's looking at. So there's a number of different ways you can do that. Uh, moving away from using fossil fuels to produce electricity or to produce power in a facility through having a more green fleet of sales force automobiles or delivery trucks. And so when you look across DSM, uh, DSM print, you'll see initiatives where we're bringing in uh, solar fields. So a little more than a year ago, I opened at what was at the time the largest net metered solar field in the state of New Jersey. And this was in January, not the best month of the year to open a new solar field, but uh, (laughs) this solar field is for a 500 acre manufacturing plant. It covers um, the solar field itself is 62,000 panels. Uh, it looks like a piece of modern art as it, you know, lays out across the landscape of 66 acres. Uh, but at, in June, at peak at peak sunshine, it can produce 100% renewable electricity to run a very large manufacturing plant. And we've opened similar solar fields in places like King Street, South Carolina, and elsewhere around the world. And where we can't open solar fields to run our plants, we do deals to um, to acquire uh, renewable electricity. So we we did a deal earlier this year in Oklahoma, to acquire um, renewable electricity that's wind powered. And very soon we'll announce a new one in Houston, Texas, or in, in the Texas area, that will be renewable electricity generated by a massive solar field. And so this is just a small example of the many things we try to do to reduce our own greenhouse gas emissions. And that's uh, that's really one part of our our story. It's reducing our own impact. The other is to try to enable our customers to reduce theirs. And then the third, and you probably see me um, on social media quite a bit about this, is advocacy, advocating to not just other corporations and consumers to reduce their environmental footprint, but really trying to use whatever modest political influence we have to get policymakers to change their position with respect to issues like climate change and carbon pricing.
1: Mm, I love it, love it, love it. It is so important to advocate for this. Okay. So for our last little bit in this segment here, the last thing I want to cover from from the report is, of course, the, the 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 true financial piece of it, whether you want to talk about profit or EBITDA growth. um, I want to make sure that we tie over just how you do business and what that looks like from a purpose vantage point to the bottom line.
2: Yeah, we had we had good EBITDA growth last year. Um, you know, we've gone through a number of years now where we've had very strong growth. Uh, across our business lines, particularly in nutrition, uh, I think that's a, a a result of having some very good leadership in the company running these different businesses, a good strategy, uh, a world that is hungry for our products, be they vitamins or lipids or or clean energy. Uh, but you know, we we also face headwinds, and coronavirus will certainly be a headwind to our uh, probably first and second quarter at least um, operations. Uh, But, you know, like I said at the beginning, I think we have a very uh, resilient and adaptable uh, team here at DSM, all 23,000, and uh, hopefully 2020 will prove to be uh, a year where that's reflected.
1: Mm -hmm. I appreciate that very much. And with that let's grab our last break. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We're on the air with Hugh Welsh, who is the President and General Counsel of DSM North America, a global leader in life sciences and material sciences. He joined us today just two blocks from the White House in Washington D.C. After the break we'll continue the conversation. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: Back to Working on Purpose.
1: Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Hugh Welsh, the President and General Counsel of DSM North America, a global leader in life sciences and material sciences. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. Okay. So for this last segment here, Hugh, I just wanted to see if we can presence a few things that I I think are particularly interesting about, about DSM that stand out for me. We were already talking in the last segment about what you're doing with some of the environmental cleanup, but for our listeners who haven't heard about some of your initiatives that I find very interesting, like ocean cleanup and such, will you just share a little bit about what you're doing to try to help the environment?
2: Sure. I mean, I'll start with, with some of our big bet innovation. So, uh, again, like with our with our compensation model, where we spend our R&D dollars and our innovation dollars is very much aligned with our purpose. And so we have a number of what we call big bets in DSM that are massive projects to bring new products, new solutions to the market that'll help solve some of the world's biggest problems. One of them we call clean cow. And so if you follow the media, you follow the news, you see a lot of stories around farting cows.
1: <laughs> I have
2: cow. seen them, yes. <laughs> right? So, so it's actually, they don't fart, they actually burp. So burping cows are a, a significant, um, a significant uh, area for the release of methane. Methane is a greenhouse gas. And so it would be wonderful if we could address this sort of agricultural source of greenhouse gas to make not only cows, but the products they produce more sustainable. And so in DSM, we, we invented a product, a feed ingredient that you would feed to the cow that reduces those methane emissions by more than 30%. And that is a massive amount of greenhouse gas reduction. And so we're bringing this product to market in places today like, like New Zealand, hopefully soon in Europe, and then here in the United States, and it'll have a meaningful impact, a real meaningful impact on reducing um, climate change-related gases from the agricultural sector. Uh, another area that we were are working on, and we just, we just launched in uh, July, was a new plant in Blair, Nebraska. And it's a joint venture with a, a German company called Avonik called Verimeris. And Verimeris is the Greek words for green ocean. And what this plant does is it produces an algal oil through fermentation that can be fed to salmon so that you don't have to feed salmon wild-caught fish. Mm. So today, you know, most people, one of the most popular fish to eat when you go out is salmon. The overwhelming majority of salmon that's served in restaurants or you buy in a supermarket is farm-raised. And that farm-raised salmon has to be fed fish oil or fish meal from fish that are caught in the wild. And today the oceans are already 70 percent depleted so that's becoming a challenge those products are becoming very expensive because of the you know, there's there's fewer of them available and as a consequence a lot of the folks in the aquaculture industry aren't putting a lot of that fish meal or fish oil in so the salmon you may be buying might not have the high mm. levels of omega-3 that you would expect this ingredient does away with the need to use any of that wild caught fish and raises the EPA DHA omega-3 levels in those farm-raised salmons to immensely high levels. So it's making not only the fish healthier itself, but a healthier fish for the consumer. And we just opened that plant, as I said, in Blair, Nebraska in July. Why Nebraska? Because the feedstock to grow the algae is corn, and they have a lot of corn in Nebraska. (laughs) Uh, In November, we opened up a similar joint venture in Blair, Nebraska with Cargill, and we're producing a product there called Avencia. Now, Avencia is a product that's designed to try to help challenge the obesity epidemic that we're seeing, not just here in the United States, but growing around the world. And Avencia enables us to produce a product called Stevia, which you might be familiar with, not from a plant, but through fermentation. So today, people might enjoy Stevia. I think there are products on the market like called Truvia, et cetera, but they're very expensive because you have to extract them from the Stevia plant. And doing that candidly is not particularly environmentally sustainable. We can make that same molecule rather than from the, the plant itself in an algal fermentation tank and produce stevia at scale. So now you'll be able to see it in the market in place of chemical sweeteners or in place of high fructose corn syrup so that you can have the sweetness that you want in your beverage, your bar, whatever, without having to take a chemical sweetener or or use sugar or high fructose corn syrup. So Those are two examples. Um, there, there are, there are many, many others, and all of these are hundreds of, of millions of dollars of investments. Uh, last time I talked a little bit about the product we that we call Niagara. Now Niagara is the word again spelled backwards. It's probably why we're the biggest company nobody's ever heard of because of <laughs> that that genius in marketing. But we we make the world's only fully recyclable carpet. So today here in the United States, the number two thing that goes into landfills is carpet number one is diapers. We don't have a solution for that yet, but we make this carpet that is fully recyclable. So when it's done with its useful life, you send it back to us, we melt it down, we use the 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 beadlets that are created to make brand new carpet. Nothing goes to landfill, nothing is wasted. It's a real application of uh, what you might hear people talk about today is the circular economy. We've now launched that to consumers. So there's a new company called the Canary Company. We use the word canary, harkens back to our Coal mining days, Canary in the coal mine, and this carpet is again. In addition to being fully recyclable, doesn't off-gas any of those uh, candidly carcinogenic and 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 harmful uh, chemical gases that come out of conventional carpet that's made with latex. That new car smell that you that everybody knows,
1: that's mm-hmm. actually
2: off-gassing from the carpets in the car. Uh, and this carpet, you can just you know, if it gets dirty, just throw it in the uh, in the washing machine. You can wash it that way. Uh, so we have all of these, these, this new innovation, these new developments, that are are not just good for business, but they're really working to solve some of the world's biggest challenges.
1: And again, why I wanted to showcase Shuhu, because so much of what I'm trying to do with with my own work consulting with companies and speaking is to really have us raise our, our gaze from that singular tree in the forest to the whole entire forest and beyond and do business with the aim of helping to solve these high societal problems, not just make a profit today. Uh, or handle an issue today, but where for the long term view. And so again, so much of what you're doing, I don't know how you keep up with everything that you're doing inside DSM, or if you do. Um, and the, beyond that, too, is I think about your employees, they they have literally a buffet of things to be able to choose from, to give their 10% to or their efforts to. Um, what an incredible opportunity to give them, Hugh.
2: Uh, I don't give them opportunity; they give me opportunity. It's uh, it's a it's a wonderful place to work, as I've told you before. I have the greatest job in the world. You do, uh, which I really probably shouldn't say on the radio, but I am. And uh, <laughs> you know, I wake up every day and I wonder why they pay me. It is really um, uh, an inspiring and engaging place to work, and I'm I'm happy not just to have the opportunity to work with the thousands and thousands of people that I do within the company. But the tens of thousands of stakeholders outside the company that uh, I've come to partner with and collaborate with over the years.
1: Listeners, every single each and every one of you, I want that for you, too. I want you to be able to get out of bed like he was talking about and feel like, wow, I'm the luckiest guy or gal on the planet and really and know that you're making a difference in the world. I mean, that's my wish for all of you. So. Thank you, Hugh, yet again. So uh, while we're talking about that, and I don't know if this is related, but you know I have to ask this of you, I did notice that you made the ROI Influencers Power List of 2020 uh, of executives. So I want to know what this means to you personally and to DSM.
2: It's it's very flattering and humbling to me personally, but I, I don't take it as meaning much about me. It's really, I think, about DSM. And I think it's about a recognition uh, by certain constituents out there in the community and state and in, 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 in across the country that CDSM is not just a company that's producing products and selling them to customers or consumers, but really a company that's trying to shape and develop um, the communities within which we operate and the countries within which we have the privilege to uh, to build our facilities. And so, you know, I, I that's, that's what I see it as. I, I see it as a... Uh, a reflection of, of who we are as a company that we're not just satisfied with uh, improving our own bottom line or improving our own environmental footprint or improving the, our own uh, experiences for employees, but uh, we're really trying to enable our customers to do the same and perhaps even more importantly, shape uh, the conversation that's happening at a national level around issues that we can meaningfully speak to, again, like climate change or nutrition, things like that.
1: Mm. Beautiful and and I that's about the answer I would have expected you to give knowing you as I do. Um, but yes, I do. I and I would agree with you. I would think you need to still be the person that shows up in that space, and you are. However, I do I do see the you being attached to and being part of a company like DSM. It surely makes a big difference in being elected. But I I still I want to acknowledge this very much. It's a it's a it is a um, I want to say a fitting fitting prize for you, Hugh.
2: Uh, well, thank you. I appreciate it. And I, I accept that uh, on behalf of the thousands of people that do the real work every day.
1: Fair enough. Okay. While we're still talking about things that you're doing in the world to make it a better place, uh, I do want to ask you this. I noticed one of the, your other tweets, and I love how you tweet, by the way. I, I Like a day goes by and I haven't seen a tweet from Hugh. What do I do? Um, <laughs> how do I start my day? Um, but I spend there was, a lot
2: of time on security lines, and that's you know when tweeting gets done.
1: I, I love it. It works. It works. And and I I caught one that that announced um, uh, a collaboration between uh, DSM Royal DSM and uh, I think it's maybe it's Generations United something like that for young entrepreneurs through the development of agri food businesses, and the aim is to reach and improve the lives of an estimated one million young smallholder farmers. Okay, what's that about? That sounds amazing.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's another initiative that, that's taking sort of our expertise and our global footprint and trying to use that um, at scale, uh, at financial scale, to enable a lot of other people. I'll start with a, with an example of something we did a couple of years ago, which was start a, a business in Kigali, Rwanda called Africa Improved Foods. And we, we were approached by a number of organizations that said, Hugh, or Hugh, our TSM, There's a 38% childhood stunting rate in in Rwanda, and no matter how much the Rwandan government spends on infrastructure and business development, if 38% of their children have no chance of ever reaching their full potential, the country can never be successful. You are the biggest nutrition company in the world. Certainly, you must be able to come with a solution. And so we started there with building a plant. We make a nutritious porridge there that's sold into the commercial market. It's called uh, Nutri Toto, Nutri Mama, Nutri Family. And you know, think of it in if in US terms as like cream of wheat with all the essential vitamins and minerals and things like that. What makes this business special is that we source all of the raw materials from Rwandan smallholder farmers. Mm. So there are 10,000 Rwandan smallholder farmers who sell us their corn, their maize, their soy that we can then turn into this product. And why is that important for them? Well, for the first time, they're getting a contract that's forward looking that they can borrow against mm. and when they can borrow against something they have access to capital when they have access to capital they can have better equipment better seed and many of them for the first time are now running businesses rather than being subsistence farmers this was a this was an eye opening experience when we saw agricultural productivity in the country go up so much from one facility we realized that we could run not just a profitable business but one that's making meaningful change in parts of the world that such change has to, has to happen. So this is um, a continuing evolution of sort of that grand experiment, where if we, can find a, if we can work to enable a million smallholder farmers to move from being subsistence farmers to creating agri- more agricultural productivity, healthier products, creating markets, we can uplift, without exaggeration, billions of people from, from poverty to, to the middle class. And those people are our future employees. Those people are our future customers. Those are the future global citizens that we'll share the planet with. And so this is one of the, I think, many ways that we as a company try to not just do well ourselves, but do good for the communities uh, where we can, recognizing that that one company being successful, one person being successful doesn't mean anything if it means nobody else has an opportunity to be successful.
1: Okay, so at the expense of embarrassing you, Hugh, let me do something for our listeners really quick right now. So, listeners, what I want to really showcase of what 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 Hugh was doing is he is he is formidable in his ability to articulate a message. So that storytelling as a leader, being able to paint a picture, a vision, for your your employees to step into and be inspired by, is all the difference in the world for for, for leadership. So what you just did there, Hugh, I have to believe that so much of your company is a heartbeat of people who've learned over time through your your leadership and that of of those of your comrades to be able to stitch together a narrative that is inspiring and and helps them really understand how they individually are making a difference all the way across the globe.
2: I I think they, they all have wonderful stories to tell. And I'm just grateful every day that they share those stories with me and give me the opportunity at times to tell them. It's uh, again, it's it's a place where all 23,000 have an opportunity every day to do something meaningful. And you can't find a better purpose than that, uh, especially in an organization that will also enable you to support your family and uh, and and grow personally.
1: Mm. Agreed. Now, here we are just about out of time, but we've got maybe a minute and a half, two minutes left to Hugh, I wanted to give you a chance to just share whatever news from the road that's going on the DSM that I haven't yet heard about. Um, what else do you want to share with us? That's up to good things there.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, I remain uh, extremely optimistic despite the challenges that we we face as a global community with the current pandemic, um, despite the challenges that we face as a global community as a consequence of climate change, I remain very optimistic. I mean, I, I, again, have the privilege to travel the world and meet some really fascinating people from, again, Rwandan smallholder farmers to, you know, folks in the White House. And um, and in meeting all of them and, and, and getting an understanding of their different perspectives, uh, I see common threads in values. I see common threads in what we all aspire for, not only ourselves, our families, our businesses, but, but the community. And so I'm very, very optimistic. And I'm, I'm, I'm very confident that going forward, DSM will continue to lean into that optimism, and our business will continue to thrive and be successful. Our people will continue to thrive and be successful. And uh, and hopefully, together, um, we can make not just uh, uh, a better DSM, but a, but a better world.
1: You know, that's such an important message to, to finish with, Hugh, in, in my view, for two reasons. One, of course, as a logotherapist, which is uh, someone who heals through meaning or adds adds motivation through meaning— um, I know that the importance to our well-being of optimism is is well substantiated in the literature. So, having an optimistic attitude is very, very, very important because it gives us a place to stand from and look for ways to solve problems versus saying, "Oh, the sky is falling. What's the point? Let's just you know stay in bed today." So, especially at a time right like now, I appreciate very much your optimistic uh, word for us. So, thank you for that. That is a fantastic way to to finish the show. Well, last thoughts before we go our separate ways in thirty seconds.
2: Well, thanks for having me back. I hope I hope I didn't ruin it for the next time.
1: <laughs> Not at all. In fact, um, Kim on on, on on in the chat room said when you were talking about um, cow farts. She said, "Oh my, he went there. He sure did. Good one." So I think actually, if anything, you've you've garnered a few more listeners for us, you. So thank you. <laughs>
2: if That's all it takes. You're very welcome. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely, that was easy, huh? All right. So, listeners, if you want to learn more about Hugh Welsh and the amazing company he works with at, of DSM, go to the website. It is simply DSM.com. Last week, if you missed the show live, you can always catch it via a recorded podcast. We were on the air with Dr. Kerry Israel talking about his career as what I consider to be quite an enlightened leader in education. He shared lots of ways he made a difference in the, the college he, he was president of here in the Dallas area. Next week, we'll be talking with Dr. Arthur Sierra McCauley about his book, The Triumph of Diversity. This is his third appearance on the show as we discuss his latest book. See you there. Remember that work is at least a third of our life, so let's work on purpose.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work